0: Father, we thank you for an opportunity to worship you and Lord, we come to your word which is truly an act of worship as well and we we want to give you the glory, Lord God, as you would speak to us, Father, we pray that you would change us and you would transform us to be the men and women that we need to be for the glory and for the declaration of your name. Father, we pray that you would use us, Lord, this week as we would be fed on your word, Father. It would, it, would, it would push us out into a place where we would give you the glory, but also that we would talk and bring the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear the truth of who you are. So we pray all that in your precious name. Amen. 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 If you turn with me to John chapter fourteen, we're spending a bit of time in John um, over the summer months as well. So we're in John chapter fourteen. We're going to pick up in verse fifteen. We'll read a few verses. We. We read last week, and then we'll we'll follow through from there. It says this, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it, it, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see you, but you will see me since I live. You also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as a representative that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift this world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to be with the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has got no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father Come let 's be going. Jesus has a plan, a plan that began at the very foundation of this world, and his plan is to reach the world with the truth about who about what he came to achieve, and the outworking of his plan is through the church that 's you and me, by the way it 's not a system it 's not a program it's a person, it's one person, Jesus. I want to build on what we talked about last week when we said that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's not my words, by the way, that's his words. He said that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. So he is ours to embrace, but he's not ours to hold on to. However... At face value, the plan almost seems to be flawed. In verse 17, Jesus says that this world cannot accept the Spirit and that it will not be able to see Jesus. It's only for a few chosen disciples who will see. So as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's telling them that many of the people in this world will miss out on all of the privileges that are enjoyed by the followers of Jesus. So it's Judas who asked the question that perhaps you're thinking, Jesus, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us, only to the disciples, and not to the whole world? The term the world is used in the Gospel of John quite a lot. It's used to describe those people who do not follow Jesus. There's an old hymn written by Isaac Watt in 1724. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Verse 3. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace? To help me on to God. And and verse 3 asks the question that still needs to be asked today. Is this vile world a friend to grace? To help me on to God. And if we were to remove our rose-tinted glasses, toss aside our love songs, forget about our motivational seminars and our positive thinking exercises, our self-help books. Instead, we looked at this vile world in raw reality and asked the question, is it a friend to grace, will this world really help us to get to God, to know God, to love God, to serve God? As we sit and listen to its lectures, as we sing along to its musicians, as we watch its films, as we are influenced by its media, will the road narrow to a path that leads to God? Actually, nobody in their right mind would answer yes to such a question. The truth is, We live in a degenerated world where even our politicians are corrupt, where crime rate is going through the roof, where domestic violence, where human trafficking and drug and gang warfare just seems to be plaguing our society. This world is a war zone that's full of enemies that must be faced. This world is no friend to the God of grace. And perhaps... It's no surprise that even many Christians live life with a fatalistic attitude and feel as if the battles cannot be won. My friends, this morning, it's time to own his cause, not to blush at the mention of his name. Now, perhaps you think I'm over-exaggerating. Actually, not according to to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, 19. He says, we know that we are from God. And this whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But if this world needs God, and listen, this world needs God, why does Jesus say he will not reveal himself to the whole world? And Jesus responds to Judas's question quite unusually, actually. He, he, he responds by making a promise to all who love him. Now this is a great principle that we need to live our lives by. Actually, in every situation, in every circumstance, whether we're saying goodbye to a friend, whether we're dealing with cancer, whatever circumstance or situation you're facing at the moment, you need to remind yourselves of the promises of God. Listen, circumstances will come and go, people will come and go, life changes, but God's promises remain the same forever. They are for all of eternity. That's where we turn to first. Nowhere else. We turn to him. We turn to our Lord and to our Saviour. So he says, Jesus says, the Father will love them and Jesus and the Holy Spirit will come and make their home with those who love God. Jesus is simply repeating all that he's been saying leading up to this point. He's reinforcing what we talked about last week. The Father has shared his love with us, so we are not orphans. And we should not feel unwanted or unloved, because as Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What a promise. Listen, you should have that written up somewhere in your home. Put it on the walls, so you can read it every single morning. God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And this love is eternal. It's past, it's present, it's future. The Father's love was manifest to the disciples in the past. Read that in verse 19. As John focuses on Jesus' resurrection and post-resurrection appearances to his disciples and to the other believers. See, however, the last time this world saw Jesus was when Joseph and Nicodemus took him down from the cross and buried him. The next time this world will see him, he will come in power and great glory to judge every single one of us. But those first apostles, they had the privilege of knowing and experiencing the manifest love of Jesus face to face. They met the resurrected Jesus. They saw the embodiment of love standing right in front of them. The love of the Father in person. We can't see him, that's past. However, the Father's love is manifest to believers now. Verse 21, verse 23 and 24. See, when a sinner puts their trust in Christ, he or she is born again. And the Spirit immediately enters their life and they bear witness that they are a child of God. The Holy Spirit takes up residence, home, in their life. He will not depart. And as you yield to the fathers, you love the word as you obey and pray, you grow in increasing deeper relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. In other words, salvation means that one day we are going to heaven, but submission means that heaven comes to us. Just As Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your heart becomes heaven on earth as you spend time in in his presence, as you worship him. Your experience with God ought to go deeper and deeper as you yield to his spirit of truth, as you permit him to teach you and to guide you. The more you grow in love and obedience and submission to God, the more he will manifest his love in deeper ways within your life every day. That's now. Yeah? That's the promise and the blessing of God for each of you who know Jesus now. Don't wait for that. That's now. But thirdly, the Father's love will be manifest when Jesus returns again. Verse 19, Jesus is coming back. I hope you know that. One day he is going to return when, well, we're not told. We don't know the details, the time or the place, but we know he's coming. Now many people ask the question, 2,000 years have gone past, where is he? Fair question, I guess. Well, I think that probably the only reason for Jesus delay in returning is simply an act of mercy and patience until all of God's people are gathered together so that no one is lost. John ten sixteen, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Listen, God is not interested in getting Jesus back as quickly as possible or to punish as many people as possible. He takes no delight in the death of sinners. The delay is a sign of mercy. And every moment that he delays in bringing about the end is another moment, another opportunity for someone to find and to turn and to find their forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So today, it's what time is it? 11.36 according to Mickey, 11.36 on the 6th of August, 2017. Why has Jesus not come back yet? So that you can respond to him. So by faith, you come and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you turn from your sins, you give your life over to him. That you may know complete forgiveness, that you know the promise of heaven ahead of you. The very reason that we are not in heaven yet is so that the gospel may be preached and that many more people will be saved. And there's a day coming, of course, when he will return. And on that day, though the world cannot see him at the moment and does not know about him at the moment, on that day, this world will know and they will understand. But for some, it will be too late. You see, today is the day of salvation. It's the opportunity to receive Jesus into your life. One day he will return. You need to choose him now. The Bible tells us we need to make that decision now. And on that day, that final, and that day we will see the eternal display of the Father's love to all of those who follow Jesus. Then we will know fully, we will know completely what we only see in part at the moment. Then we will see the infinite love Of our Heavenly Father. Future glory, the love of God revealed. And one of the best ways to ease a troubled heart is to bathe in the love of God. So when you feel like an orphan or alone or isolated, ask the Spirit of God to reveal how deep the Father's love is to you. This is exactly what Jesus is promising. Those who come to him, who love him, will find themselves in close relationship with both him and the Father. But there's more. As Jesus carries on speaking, he again promises the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate who represents Jesus, who illuminates the word. It is the Spirit who finds a home in the heart of such disciples. However, the reverse is also true. If you don't love Jesus, you will be excluded from all the privileges and the promises that Jesus has been talking about here. But actually, this doesn't really answer Jesus' question, does it? If anything, it, it reinforces it. Surely, such a blessing cannot be for such a small group of people to enjoy. Where does this leave the rest of the world? Why does Jesus only reveal himself just to a few disciples? Well, It's all part of God's divine plan to rescue this world. You see, that time had not yet come. Not yet. Not until after the cross. See, his disciples are listening to Jesus. They're talking with him before the cross, before the resurrection. Jesus' true identity is hidden. Not even the disciples fully understand what's going on. Never mind the rest of the world. And everything that Jesus is doing in that conversation is, and what he's saying is to give them advanced warning about his departure so that when it happens, after his death, after his resurrection, The disciples will be convinced that he has spoken the truth. But this is also for a much larger purpose and for a much greater audience as well. Because it's a message of the cross, the message of the resurrection that will convince this world who Jesus is. That's why he holds back. The day of Pentecost is a wonderful example of that. As Jesus died, as he rose again, as he ascended back to be with the Father, as we know he sends his spirit into this world on the day of Pentecost, as the spirit is poured out in power, 3,000 plus people come to faith in Christ and that's just the beginning of it. That's just the start. And unwittingly and unknowingly, the prince of this world, the devil, will actually help to prove that Jesus is the truth. See, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil was trying to corrupt Jesus without any success. But when he gets his chance to kill Jesus, well, he takes it. But it was the biggest miscalculation that the devil has ever made. His pride made him think that he could destroy the Son of God. How wrong he was. Neither the devil, nor the grave, nor hell could hold Jesus down. Instead, it produces the greatest victory and gives salvation and hope to all who believe. The message of the cross enables the world to believe in Jesus. That's why we are so passionate about the cross and about the resurrection. Because it's hope to a lost world. Jesus has revealed himself to this whole world, but through his Spirit. You see, even at the very even as sin entered into this world at the very beginning of time, God's rescue plan was already unfolding. And this God was not caught off guard when Adam and Eve disobeyed. It was no surprise to an all knowing God. It wasn't as if God turned to Jesus as Adam and Eve were munching on their apples and he says, Didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do now? Listen, there is no plan B. There never was a plan B. This is always as God intended because before the creation of this world, before time began, God in the form of man entered this world. And As we read through the Old Testament, the clues and the prophecies are all building together and they're pointing to one man, to Jesus. And Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, he was tempted Just as we are, he faced the same difficulties that each one of us face. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Now, some will argue that Jesus had it easy. After all, he is God. Yet, although he has full access to divine power, he chose I use that word deliberately. He chose to live as a man and dealt with the same struggles that we face. He was tempted in matters of integrity, sexual purity, envy, pride, just as you are. And unlike us, he did not sin. How did he live as a perfect man? He lived without sin because... He was continually and completely filled with the Spirit. Throughout his earthly life, he walked in perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit. Now, the incredible thing is that the same Spirit has been given to you and to me. The same access through the Spirit to you and to me. You can make a choice every day, every moment to either walk with the Spirit or walk without. Without him... You do not have a hope of resisting sin. With him, he will give you the power to say no to sin and to Satan and to evil. And you can confidently live in peace because Jesus is the great overcomer. He has sent his spirit. The world, the flesh and the devil can be continually defeated. But you need to use the right weapons. And the Lord has provided everything that you need. You can live in victory because of him. His victory is your victory. And you use the same tools that Jesus used. God's unchanging truth, the word. The power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is mighty to defeat your enemies. This truth must sink deep into your heart. But you need also to gain understanding of the Holy Word of God and then use the Word aggressively against the powers of darkness, against the enemy in your lives. This can only come through the illumination and the application of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, walking with the Spirit, Satan cannot get a foothold within your life unless you permit him, either through sin or through disobedience. But all too often we allow a defeated enemy to steal the victory and the peace that Christ has won for us on the cross. So listen, it remains your responsibility to use the weapons that he has graciously provided. And every time you use them, be thankful to God that the victory is yours in Jesus. And every victory that is won should make your heart reach out to an ever-deepening gratitude to your Lord and to your Saviour. But also, as you submit to the peace of God through the Holy Spirit, neither the devil nor this world can trouble your heart. One of the most precious words for the Jewish people is the word shalom, it means peace. But it means more than just the absence of war or distress, shalom means wholeness, health, security, even prosperity. And when you enjoy God's peace, there is joy and contentment in spite of trials. God's peace is not like this world's peace. See, our peace, well, it's based on our resources. It's based on our own abilities. While God's peace depends on relationship and submission to the direction of the Holy Spirit, peace is a wonderful gift from God. I've seen this. I've watched my wife Rachel as she's been walking through cancer surgery the last number of weeks. She won't mind me saying this, but she's naturally prone to fear and to anxiety. And she has lived with a level of peace that has truly surprised me. I've seen it in my brother a couple of years back. My brother lost his oldest boy. He was it's just devastating, absolutely devastating. And yet even in the moments of such sorrow, he described how peace was on him that just he could not understand. Only God does that. Only the spirit of God at work in your life can do that. And you, just, you have got two options in life. You can either walk through life with option one. You can walk by sight. You can depend and react to the externals. You get pushed around by life. You get controlled by your circumstances. Option two, you can walk by faith. You can depend on the spirit. The Spirit of God will teach you the word. He will guide you into truth. He will also remind you of God's word in difficult times. He gives his peace, his love, his joy. And if that does not calm a troubled heart, nothing will. But as I said at the very beginning, all of this is leading somewhere. See, he is ours to embrace, but he's not ours to hold on to. You are part of God's divine plan. His peace, his love, his joy must be shared. When I was growing up, sometimes our cousins would come over from London and they would stay with us. And we would would play a game that we called Shiner. It was played at night time. The darker, the better. Living in the middle of the country, of course, it was well, there was no light pollution around, so it often got very dark, almost pitch black. And shiner was basically a modified version of hide and seek. So, we would, I would often be the person who was doing, had the job of finding, and all I needed was really a bright torch. And when I found someone, I would shine the light on them. I would call out their name, and then I would lead them back to the home base. And then they would become a searcher as well. They would join my team. But part of my strategy was often to turn out the light, turn the torch off, so I didn't give away my position. The only problem is a bit risky, because what I ended up doing was normally tripping over roots, running into trees, as I'm prone to do, as you know, um, <laughs> and, and, and just generally hurting myself in, in some way or other. Listen, we live in a world where all too many people live in darkness. Without a ray of light and there. They've got no idea where to turn. They have no idea which way is home. And what they need is that you shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. That is God's plan for this world. By his spirit. But there are all too many Christians who, like me, just turn off the light and we, we, we blend into the darkness. We think we can do this on our own and or else we shine the light on ourselves and just use it for our own direction and for nobody else's. Jesus has called us to shine into this world, to be a light on a hill, to be a beacon. And perhaps perhaps we need to spend a little bit less time in our own well-lit all-Christian worlds and some time shining the light of love, the light of God's Spirit into the darkness. C.T. Studd puts it like this. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop into within a yard of hell. Listen, if you're the only Christian in your workplace, in your company, in maybe your college or or school. Don't look at it as a challenge, look at it as an opportunity. So when you go in tomorrow morning into work, remember that you are the light of God, that you carry the very presence of God into that environment, but be careful. Don't shine a big blinding light into your co-workers' eyes. Listen, they need light, but the right light and enough light in the right place, you are to lead them towards Jesus. You need to shine, not blind. Don't make it complicated. Simply let the light shine. And as you live as people who are in the light, filled with the Spirit, you are a friend to grace. And you show them Jesus and you radiate his love into the dark places of this world. You need to live for Jesus. No compromise. You cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. That is not going to work. It's never going to be good. And the biggest threat to living for Jesus is not some anti-Christian persecution, but the daily temptations and distractions of this world. Listen, there's a huge temptation that we learn to live as if Jesus is not coming back again to settle down, to make this life our ultimate home. Instead, you need to make your heart his home. It is the Holy Spirit who will help you to shine. But you need to stand firm. To be watchful, to be prayerful, to radiate the glory of God, to live in the peace of God. Listen, the comforter has come. Our advocate is here. He's taken up residence, home in our lives. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need. In him. It's all there. But we must use it. We must receive him. We must shine for him. In our world. For the glory and for the honour of God. Let's just pray as we finish. Father. We thank you for your word. And Lord we thank you that. Lord you speak through your word. And Father we pray Lord God as we have just read it and as we have spoken about it, Father may it take up home in our hearts Lord may the spirit of God come and take up home in our hearts and Father I want to pray God that you would lead us further and deeper into the love of the Father Father for those who are struggling to receive may that become a reality in their lives this morning Father we pray for the peace of God in lives this morning. Holy Spirit, pour out your peace. That fruit, that gift from God. Pour out your peace, Lord, into our lives. May we live in the fullness of all that you have in store for us. Father, I pray as well, God. as we we face difficulties and and, and, and circumstances and situations, Lord God, Father, that we would turn to you and to you alone. Lift our gaze, Lord. That we would honour you That we would give you the glory that is yours and yours alone. So, God, I pray, be exalted. In my life, in our lives, Lord, as a church, Lord God, be exalted. Jesus, we say, Lord, you are the center of this church, the center of our lives. Father, may the way we live reveal that. Lord, to our world. And Father, we pray, Lord God, for the communities around us. Or the people around our homes, the people that we meet regularly, Father, we pray, may we shine for Jesus. May we display the glory of the living God. May we be the representative that we've been called to be, that we take the Spirit of God into those places. May we be light in darkness this week. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.